Next on the Well of Sound, let's go live. This is seriously like just an escape for us. <laughs> Tonight, we're like, oh, let's just chit chat about live albums. Yep. We're picking three live albums each that we're fans of. And I, I've, I have no idea where this is going to go, how it's going to go. I mean, it's sort of this, the format we've been doing before for these these uh, types of episodes. But, um, I mean, I was thinking about live records today and just the live experience. And I think we both talked about this, that uh, we don't run to live records. No. It's got to right? be something special really special about a live record for me. Yeah. And, you know, when I was thinking about the live records for tonight, it had to be records that I kind of almost prefer to to the, the studio oh, versions. Yeah. Or at least see them almost as so distinct, not just sort of a slightly sped up or a bit more echoey version of. Like, I yeah, really... what do you consider sort of the... the um the worst case scenario of a live record a tour souvenir that's what i think like uh, that's basically what most live records are they're 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 souvenirs for people who went to the tour and want a record of it and right you know and and you're, just you're bringing all of your sentimentality to it and right. it, it can be it serves a purpose but in terms of its own kind of artistic statement i i I think that it's a cash in for a lot of bands they have another it's like it's like a greatest hits yeah it's another way to yeah get some cash i mean but i mean live music is how is the lifeblood of this of this entire thing that we're of rock and roll i think so um i was thinking about that too and thinking about and how that relates to my feelings or my Old, probably old feelings about live records, which is that I was never a live music person. Mm. I think up to a point, my experience of live shows was uh, took endurance. You know, it would take a lot to 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 get me so engaged that I was having a great time. My experience was more. My friends were going. It was a band that I kind of felt okay about. And, um, I liked some of the songs, but, and maybe it was the era that we grew up where there was a lot of droney or jammy bands, you know, I'm thinking yeah. of like modest mouse and, and, you know, it's like, okay, I can endure that for a while, but I'm not going to go personally, I'm not going to go see modest mouse again, but I did write down a list of, of live shows that have moved me that have been the most fun huh. and have have made me feel like oh i i do like a live show it's just it's got to have some certain boxes that I, that i check yeah what what's on your list okay so here's so the earliest one i can remember that i really enjoyed was willie nelson that was like a sort of a 3 hour that guy is on full blast um and he just he loves the live setting and he mm-hmm. he 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 gives to the audience right that's sort of the por- performer live thing i saw the darkness in san diego oh man in whatever that first album to so like 2002 or something or uh 2004 it was everything you would have wanted it to be wow. it was like you know a, 
a poison show in 1987 that was better than a poison show yeah. in 1987. <laughs> um, I saw Tenacious D double bill with Spinal Tap. Oh my goodness. That, really? The 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 feeling, the exuberance of rocking out while also laughing your face off is an experience that I highly recommend. Wow. Which was, of course, that. Um, ben Folds I saw a couple of times, and he's so engaged with the audience and, and brings them into the performance that that was always really enjoyable, and I just like, you know, mm-hmm. some good piano rock, obviously. Yeah. And then you and I saw Before the Pandemic kiss and that was so much fun that's i mean i that was I, a vegas show the, basically. the hat that you got me at that show i wear basically every day <laughs> and it's just kind of become a, a, a uniform almost yeah yeah that was like a spectacle show mm-hmm. for me it's always my, my 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 dad took me to see the rolling stones on the steel wheels tour oh. when i was in fourth grade man and there's never been anything that's hard more to be magical living color opened for them oh my god um but I, I saw a lot of shows in college because I was writing for a newspaper and I was reviewing shows. Um, I would say that like the legendary shows that stick out to me, man. Well, I got to I got to see the Strokes before they like they had only had an EP out. Uh huh. Um, when it was nothing but hype. Right. And uh, it didn't. It was like really. It was fabulous. Right. It, it was, was just, a moment in time. It was kind of that dangerous almost. It, it felt like a little, yeah, it, it, it right. was, it was, it was. You I, were part of something special. I was part of something that was happening. Right. And, um, uh, I saw Wilco right after September 11th. Uh, oh, wow. And, um, you know, the, in the, when they were in the midst of this whole Yankee Hotel Foxtrot saga and that was, a, and then also the, I was in Washington DC and. You know, I went with someone I really, I remember it very, very well. Um, it being kind of a moving time because everyone was a little bit, you know. Yeah. Reeling. Right. And then uh, I saw Paul Westerberg solo, um, which was, he was sort of been such a mythic hero of mine. His toured so little. Right. I got to see him on a tour that was great. Um, and um, I guess the... Last thing I'd say is the most transcendent concert I've ever been to, mm-hmm. and this is not an artist that I'm a huge fan of, but um, about five years ago, uh, my wife and I went to went up to Richmond to see Sufjan Stevens play on the Carrie and Lowell tour, and um, I was not prepared for such. It's, I, I just don't call it transcendent. It was yeah. it was this record he'd written about the death of his of his mother, and. Um, he took us to like another plane. I could see that. I could see, I mean, his music just in recorded form is so transcendent and, and overwhelming. Yeah. That, yeah. Live. Oh, that makes me think I did see wise blood. That was awesome. She was great. She had very, uh, Brian Ferry vibes. (laughs) She had a jumpsuit. She had an Elvis jumpsuit on. I saw Radiohead on the Kid A tour in the rain, and that was pretty special, too. But in terms of live albums, one of the things I was noticing, Lex, is that we've... So many of the people we've gone through in the well of sound over the last four or five years, like... Have amazing live records that when I was when I was thinking about these, I didn't want to include those. Yeah, Because, like, Live at Budokan by Cheap Trick, Uh 
Unbelievable live record. Waiting for Columbus by Little Feet. Yep, one of the best. Unbelievable right? live record. And I go, that's the one I listen to usually more than their studio Waiting versions. for Columbus. Waiting for Columbus, I, I just think is just uh, sublime. And then... Um, Alive, clearly. <laughs> Alive by Kiss <laughs> is great. And then like no, even the, the Beach Boys have a live record that I happen to really, really love. There's a lot of really good yeah. live records in... Our, you know, collective in the in the yeah in, that we've in, talked about that we've talked about that we've been happy with. Oh, seconds in, out by Genesis. I, that was a huge discovery for me. I lo- that's a gorgeous record. I love you. Yes, I love you. That's as from our most recent episode. Yeah. So there's. I, I decided when I was picking my records, yep. I was not going to touch on artists that we'd profiled at long length. Right. And I think I just, that's that's it makes sense because yeah. we've 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 gone in depth about those other albums. Yeah. So I mean, I'll tell you, my first one comes from. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, let's jump in. And uh, I feel like I, I think you. Any other rules? <laughs> I think we just go in chronological ish order, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um. Well, for me, the 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 first one it comes from 1970. Is yours earlier than that? Oh, the show was years earlier than the 70 release. Is that what you mean? Like the record, the live record came out in 1970. Yeah. That would be, um, that was, that's my first. Does, your, does yours go before Oh, that? no, no, no. I'm, yeah. uh, well, I, I'm late 70s. Let's put it that way. That's where I start. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm going to have two, I guess, chronologically that come before yours. But mine is, and this is the most obvious of all live records, and I, um, but I think it lives up to its billing. And that's live at Leeds by the Who, which I, I don't, I don't know, and uh, frankly, I have n- no strong emotional attachment to the Who, and I know that people do. It's just never happened with me. I I accept that yeah. kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just I think that it is such a a record that you know the Who have a lot of. A lot of different phases. A lot of, yeah. I mean, they'd be an interesting band for us to do one day. Yeah. Uh, and they've got the early mod stuff. Right. And they've got the, you know, the um, the rock opera era and the big concept records. And then they've got the sort of arena rock era, which yeah. is, which is, you know, who's, who's next? next and, and, and up to who are you? And, and then they sort of fall apart, but then they kind of come back together. And th- there's a lot of who when you're talking about the who. <laughs> I only recently, kind of remembered eminent front and and you know eminence i was front. yeah eminence front sorry yeah. and and uh listened to it again i was like oh, this is a fun song yeah i think that's particularly overrated yeah. this i don't think live at leeds is overrated so they recorded um they had just put out tommy and uh-huh. they were kind of feeling like that you know tommy was such a concept record it was such a kind of a new thing in rock and it had all this like it had more uh, instrumentation and it yeah. was like, the whole story. And I, I think it's largely very successful classic record. Right. But I think the sense in the band was that they were, um, it didn't necessarily represent what was so legendary about them, which was their live show. Okay. And uh, so they wanted to take Tommy translated to the stage, but also kind of do their maximum R and B thing and just right. hit you in the face with their kind of unbelievable, you know, the who was, I think they have the record for the loudest show ever. Oh really? Yeah. Um, ever, or at least for the longest time Guinness records did. 
but yeah, they they recorded a couple of of uh, of shows. One at uh, University of Leeds, and the one at in Hull the next day. And somehow the recording went bad at Hull, but they record this explosive set. And then Townsend was going to make it. We wanted it to be a double record, and decided to um, decided to cut it down uh-huh. to just six songs. And oh, that's wow. a bold move. The original Live at Leeds is only six songs. Really? Yeah, I can. I mean, I'll just tell you what. I mean, they played right. We live in an era where you know of of extras. Yeah, they played so thirty three songs, but they they released six. It was Young Man's Blues, Substitute, Summertime Blues, Shaken All Over, a fourteen and a half minute version of My Generation, and then Whoa. Um, Magic Bus. So it's, uh, it's, I mean, I don't like, I don't know where you are with this stuff, but it's the, the, the very beginning of, of, um, of young man's blues. I, I, I also think they've got great like banter on there. I love that. So that, yeah, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. You know, if a, if a live album can supply the banter. When a young man ain't got nothing in the world these days I said a young man ain't got nothing in the world these days play you all sorts of that i mean they're 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 the three instrumentalists at the top of their game i mean you could if you if you isolate just the bass track and whistles playing like a gazillion notes i mean they really were maximum and sort of like they're throwing everything they could at you yeah and somehow everyone talks about this album as being like they're on the brink of falling apart the whole time um and that's what it sounds like it's before daltrey became like an imitation of himself and um their version of Substitute, you know, which was which was a huge punk rock anthem later on, yeah, yeah. is 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 just so concise. I mean, it's it's two minutes long, basically. That's but, so, that's so herky jerky in the most like wonderful way that you've got that, and then a fourteen minute My Generation. But it's not a meandering My Generation. They like move through several like movements, and there's uh they use a they put a ton of Tommy in there. Uh-huh. You you get into see me, feel me, heal me, like that. That's right. in there. Like they're so it's so majestic. Yeah. And the only thing that sounds, I mean. I, Townsend is like very underrated as a guitarist just because he was surrounded by Keith Moon, who was hitting as many toms as he possibly could, and Entwistle, who's like the, the greatest rock bassist basically ever. Yeah. So, um, it, but I, Lex, the, um, I didn't, uh, I had my father had the Live at Leeds record, which came in this cool package because it, he made it to look like a bootleg. Uh, they designed it. It was known for its design. You took it out, and there are like postcards and like oh, weird. Right, because the ephemeral. cover is sort of just like brown packing paper, right, yeah. with a stamp. It's yeah, and that's was made to look like that. Like because yeah. there was like I think a stones that was sort of a one bootleg. for a while. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, nineteen ninety five. So right the right when I was discovering the Who, they released a, a sort of a remastered version of Live at Leeds which has 14 songs on it. 
and it begins the, like with heaven and hell, which is a John Entwistle song. I listened song. to that today, and it's just um, a wild like to begin your concert with a B side sung by the bassist. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a bold move. I can't explain. Perfect song, right? Um, and the the kind of rele- revelation to me on that though. Um, was a quick one while he's away, which is their first attempt at like a mini rock opera, mm-hmm. and it's the, a lot of people would What's know. What's that it. on? It's on the album, a quick one while he's oh, away, okay. and it's uh, it's um, y- people know it from like the end of Rushmore, uh, the the movie. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. You are forgiven. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, there's some silliness to it. It's humor. It's a little vaudeville, but it also rocks your socks off. So. That's my, I, I, it's a different side of the who, because the next thing that they would release would be who's next. Yeah. It's the Lifehouse debacle. Wow. You're the next, hear, wait, when, who's next was? 71. This came uh, out in Somehow 70. my brain puts who's next like mid, like 76 or later. So no. Okay. So what no. came after who's next? After who's next came Quadrophenia, I think. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I believe. And then, uh. One of my favorite Who records uh, is um, uh, the one. Um, let me. I'm just checking. Yeah, it goes. Tommy, who's next? Quadrophenia. Then the Who by Numbers, which is which is one of my. Uh, that's a great, great record. That's yeah. kind of a, I guess, underrated, and it's a very like a boozy, yeah, recovery type record, right? Um, but it's 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 a most it's a very eccentric record. Then they come back with "Who Are You," which has the anthems, and then it's right. It's sort of over for right. a bit. Right. But yeah, who's next? They were trying out some of the parts of who's some of the songs on that, on that tour. They also played all of Tommy. Right. Like later on, now everything's available. The whole concert, and they played all of Tommy, and right. they somehow pull it off. Right. That's a lot to ask of an audience. Yeah. But. Townsend didn't put any of that on the actual live record. Bizarre. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a freight train of just like you know eat your heart out Led Zeppelin. I mean this is what, right this is a right. This was the bunch of virtuosos just like kicking off the 70s. Yeah. So I I love Do you want to play another track? Live at Leeds? Yeah. Sure. I'll play um I'll play I'll, I'll play, let's play Substitute. Nice. That's on the original. I just mm-hmm. want to play like a little bit of the my my generation medley. I'm just gonna just forward to go into the middle yeah. of it just to see what see what you guys think. 
that's about minute eight. Wow. And they go through like a bunch of different stuff that's never been in the song My Generation. Right. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit like three guys soloing all at once, and somehow it kind of works. And, and no, that, that's like definitive rock and roll. Yeah, right? I read. I read. You read the accolades about it, and like everyone is a lot of lot of sort of especially rock people are obsessed with it. People who are so like Getty Lee talks about it as being right like the greatest record. And I, you know, there was one critic I read that said this isn't just the best, you know live rock and roll album it's the best rock and roll album right right and there's the case could be made yeah. um and and you know when he when he and he the, the of the on the original live at leads four of the songs are covers too wow i think it's four three three of the songs are covered the, the problem with the original with the original is that there's the song magic buses on there and and as someone said in no version is it is, is it does it not suck like it as good as it is here it's still only a good version of a terrible song and yeah. so that's, that's why my we, experience of the who is like the, some songs that i just can't get over they have some annoying songs annoying yeah like there's songs like i'm a boy and happy jack somehow they turn them into actual anthems on this but that's why when it got longer uh-huh you you magic bus didn't stick out as much as just oh right. right but who has a magic bus okay what's your first record okay so <laughs> my first live album is not someone i have a ton of experience with but this I went to, this is an odd case of me going to the live album first because I, un, what I understood about this artist was that it was all, it was all about charisma. So I was interested in getting r- directly to the charisma. And that is um, uh, 1979's uh, Live Coast to Coast by Teddy Pendergrass. Oh my gosh. Um, we talked about Teddy Pen- Pendergrass in um, our Marvin, Marvin Gaye. Gay. Yes. They were, they were rivals. They were rivals. And he had, Teddy P, who was from Philly, had a bit of the same trajectory as Marvin Gaye, which is that he uh, first came up in a band. Uh, and I don't remember what Marvin Gaye's was, but uh, he was a vocalist in a band that had somebody else's name plus, you know, so-and-so and the such-and-such. Yeah, I forget, forget now. And I forget <laughs> what a lot of Marvin's yeah. was. Um, but in Teddy P's case, it was Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, and their hit was If You Don't Know Me By Now, which Teddy Pendergrass sang, which I found out was originally ready for a Well of Sound tie-in. Uh, we talked about LaBelle in um, the Alan Toussaint episode, and that was originally written for LaBelle by Kenny Gay. Campbell and Leon Huff. So it wasn't written for Simply Red? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Which we talk about in the Pretenders episode. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Um, and the, the reason, the, the real reason why I chose this record is I wanted, I love a live record that is an entertainer's record. Mm-hmm. I was flirting with the idea of uh, doing the alternate Aloha, Elvis's alternate oh. Aloha, which I always love. I I, I I guess the Aloha is probably a better 
concert, but whatever. I had the alternate Aloha on CD, which was like two nights before where he worked out the kinks. And you got so much Elvish, uh, sorry, Elvish, uh, Elvis, you got so much Elvis. Never you got been to Spain. banter, you, yeah. you, all the stuff. And so that's what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I was interested in, you know, what do you get when you see Teddy Pendergrass live? Um, and uh, so 78, 79 is not too far into his solo career. He His first self-titled album was 77 um, and quickly followed by uh, Life is a Song Worth Singing in 78, which has the, the hit that really made him the sex symbol that he became, which was Close the Door, which is this really um, as... Steamy. Steamy, as uh, all music called us uh, a, a grouping of his erotic songs, Creamy Concoction. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. I love it. Um, so... So there's this tour. Now, I'm going to read a little block from Wikipedia that you are going to love uh, because it uh, name checks uh, someone very important to the Well of Sound universe. Mm. All right. Pendergrass's popularity became massive at the end of 1978 with sold-out audiences packing his shows. His manager, the renowned Shep Gordon, who was oh. who was known for his innovative approaches uh, to publicizing his artists, soon noticed uh, that a huge number of his audience consisted of women of all races. Gordon devised a plan for Pendergrass's next tour to play to just female audiences, starting a trend that continues today called women-only concerts. With four platinum albums and two gold albums, Pendergrass was on his way to being what the media called the Black Elvis, not only in terms of his crossover popularity, but also due to him buying a mansion akin to Elvis's Graceland located just outside of his hometown of Philadelphia. Um, Shep Gordon, so the the Alice Cooper's uh, uh, correct uh, manager was Teddy Pendergrass's manager. Correct. So to get an explanation of what the deal is uh, with this album, I'm gonna play a little radio exp- uh, excerpt that is on um, the existing live coast to coast. That's that's on Spotify. It's clearly an extra. Don't think it was on the original release, mm-hmm. um, but also gives you a vibe of Teddy Pendergrass and his uh, just what he did to the ladies. Hi, I'm Mimi from Philadelphia, and here we are in Philadelphia International Studios, and I'm here with Teddy Pendergrass. Hi, Teddy. How you doing, Mimi? I'm fine. Teddy, your album sounds great, and I heard you mention Philadelphia and Los Angeles, but it leaves me a bit confused. I was wondering if you would explain it to me. Yes, I would. The album took a year to complete, and it's two separate concerts. One, of course, is here in Philadelphia at the Schubert Theater that we did last year in 1978, and uh, the other is in Los Angeles at the Greek Theater, and we did that this year of 1979. So as you can see, it took a whole year to complete the live album. And uh, let me further explain that uh, coming up right after this interview will be some studio cuts, some brand new material that are fresh out of the studio. So I hope you'll enjoy that. Oh, I know I will. Teddy, you want to tell me something? How do you like your eggs? <laughs> <laughs> A couple of different ways, I'd say. <laughs> 
I like them definitely prepared by a female. <laughs> um, I like my eggs hard. Somewhere between, <laughs> between <laughs> medium and medium hard. I mean, wow. isn't that wonderful? There's a bunch of those radio exper- uh, excerpts uh, on... on oh, basically, these ladies just flirting with him? Okay, so, yes. Speaking just of that, flirting. I'm going to uh, jump right to uh, the L.A. portion of the concert. Let's uh, hear it. Which is called L.A. Rap. Um, and then it segues into uh, his song, Come Go With Me. But what I love about this track... Uh, also about the album is the ladies only vibes that are coming from the audience there i mean buckle up for some screams and some squeals and i also just love a good talk up in a live album and you get it here with teddy p Is everything all right? Are you sure? Well, let me hear you say, yeah. 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 Oh, hell yeah. I promise you we're going to have a good time. I take it all off. It's time for serious business. If you're ready for serious business, I'll take it all off. (laughs) Okay. Had to pack it back now. Ladies, I have a very serious request to ask of you. Now, um, here lately, I've been spending an awful lot of time alone. Oh, poor baby. Well, can I get some help? The fact of the matter is, is I've been, like I said, I've been spending a lot of time alone. And it's really getting the best of me. And uh, see, I went and uh, I had an examination. The doctor told me I was suffering from a disease they call Lackanooky flu. (laughs) Bad boy. (laughs) It's about time that I asked for some ladies' company. It's really getting about that time. I'm what you call in the red. Uh, now you believe me, you won't be under any kind of pressure. Promise. We'll just let the evening flow. When the show is over, what I'd like for you to do, and I hope you don't mind if I ask you to come go with me over to my place. Come on over to my place 
like being lonely tonight See, I want, I want some company You look like you're just my type You're the kind You're the kind of spirits are running free Let's take a sip of some cold, cold wine And dance to the music nice and slow You won't be under any kind of pressure You see, we'll just let, we'll just let I do get the uh, the Elvis, the Black Elvis yeah. vibe completely. Yeah, just working the crowd like that. Yeah, kind of making making some jokes, some innuendos, just seeing how letting it uh, letting it fly like that. Well, the band, you wonder if the band in the back's like, all right, how, we got he's gonna vamp for like you know. Yeah, yeah, we just gotta be for ready. Like six minutes and <laughs> and then just ready, be ready to kick in right when he like gives gives the point. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like the first time Teddy Pendergrass was on my radar was uh, the Nutty Professor by Eddie Murphy. There's that scene where Professor Clump is like getting cozy in his uh, apartment, and he says, "Don't don't hurt him, Teddy P." As he puts on. <laughs> I remember on. that? Don't hurt. I remember that. I mean, I I think because Te- so Teddy had a he had an accident that left him. I mean, yes. his the reason he's not sort of. Even more well known, although he was the great. Right, you know, he could have been huge. Marvin but... was so threatened by him, as right. we recall. But what 1982? He has a yep. terrible accident, yep. and then he's paralyzed. paralyzed. Yep. Um, and I guess he had um, like two or three albums already recorded, so that was able to sort of sustain the career. But by that time, you know, he was uh, trying to heal, and but yeah. He was uh, tetraplegic, uh, paralyzed from the chest down, never oh walked again, um, but lived until about 15 years ago. Gosh, what yeah. a reversal. I know. Crazy. Huh. Um, but speaking of the band, I did, I thought you might ap- ap- appreciate this, which is the album kicks off with Life is a Song Worth Singing, and <clears throat> no one but the two of us would would hear Genesis in in the opening a uh, little bit here but I'm I think I hear some some Genesis hints Hey, hey, hey. Just 
You don't. You feel like more like the Who's giving you a concert. You don't feel like you're at a Who concert. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that that uh, I know that it, push of the crowd. I I love have but it really could be also that the crowd that. was also that loud. loud. Yes, like when that's you listen true. to Beatles recordings and they couldn't hear themselves. Yeah. Like no one could hear them because yeah. the crowd was just high pitched screaming the entire time. Right. Yeah. I find that that's what I've come to find the most exciting element of of live albums is the transportation to the moment mm. if i feel as though i'm actually swept away and have an understanding of what it might be like to be in the audience for me that's becoming w what a good live album is for, yeah. for me huh. um so yeah all right well i'll go to the, my next one is my my all-time favorite live album Woo! and it's the one i've listened to the most by a, by a lot. Wow. And uh, it's Rock of Ages by the band. Oh, sure. And we've talked about it before because it's got a huge well of sound connection because Alan yep. Toussaint did uh, horn charts. Now, this is interesting right. because the band did not mess with the arrangements much of their music when they played it live. Um, but you could hear the symbiosis of those those five, like, again, five virtuosos up there. Yeah. And um, they, good, they, good crowd noises in that. Album yeah, album. it it starts out with Robbie Robertson's uh, you know talking, and I'll, I'll I'll also say that as much as I love the original Rock of Ages, it was supplanted for me by the Live at the Academy of Music, which is the same concerts. Just Robbie went and remixed them. Yeah, and they actually it was a rare case of it just breathing even more life because mm. he'd never apparently been that happy with the with the mixes. But um, so the story goes, the band, had, it started to run out of gas a little bit as a, as a recording unit, primarily because of drug use and substance abuse and alcoholism. And um, so they recorded Cahoots, which I think is, an, is their fourth record. I think it's underrated, but it's still not nowhere near as good as the first three right. band records. And they would record another couple of d decent records, especially Northern Lights, Southern Cross, but... Um, after Cahoots had come out, they play, they book like five shows at the Academy of Music in Brooklyn uh, at the very end of 1971, including New Year's Eve. And they play these, they, they hire Alan Toussaint, who'd worked on Cahoots with Life as a Carnival, too. Right. right? And we, we talked about it on that episode because yeah. Toussaint, like, gets, he goes stuck up. Stuck in Vermont. Or he gets something. stuck in uh, upstate New York and oh, he, yeah. he gets sick and he loses all of the charts he's written. He has to rewrite them on the fly. Yeah. And what he comes up with is the most perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's just un. 
believable uh, how good the horn charts that he comes up with. So I'll start with Caledonia Mission, which is a, a song off music for Big Pink that Rick Danko sings. She reads the leaves and she leads the life that she learned so well from the old wife. And it's so strange to arrange it. You know I would not change it. But hear me if you're near me. Can I just sounds like those horns were always a part of the right. song. Yeah. And it also captures so The Last Waltz is the more famous um band live record. Yeah. Uh but one thing The Last Waltz does not capture almost at all is Richard Manuel who was the sort of oh, yeah. one of the the three great voices of the band and some can argue sort of their original lead singer and he was a songwriter too and he was a, you know tragic case but um his vocals on the last waltz are totally shot. He he can't even sing in the right octave. He's he's just uh, just uh, completely drunk. Yeah. Uh, and 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 they they were very worried he wouldn't. If you watch the movie, he's barely in it because yeah. he was he was in bad shape. And but he is at the absolute top of his game at on Rock of Ages on Live at the Academy of Music. And for me it's such a joy to hear these three uh, these three singers Levon Helm, uh Richard Manuel and Rick Danko just yeah. having a ball and compliment there, there's telepathy in the, with these guys. Right. Just, that's the only way to say it. Garth Hudson's keyboards are just kind of filling in every gap. Robbie plays solos where it sounds like he's firing those notes at you. Wow. Um I'm going to play uh, the, the my favorite song on on it is actually Across the Great Divide, mm-hmm. um, which they transform and Richard sings. But uh, the the song that I think is almost most representative of the record is King Harvest mm-hmm. will surely come, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about Richard. <laughs> Listen to the rice when the wind blows cross the water. King Harvest is surely come. I work for the union. Cause she's so good to me. And I'm bound to come out on top. That's where she said I should be. The solo on that, Robbie, you know, notoriously took very few solos, but the solo on that 
is a thing of great beauty. And again, they're not messing with the arrangements so much as adding to them. Mm-hmm. And so you're not getting a longer song. You're getting the song played perfectly with an extra energy and these horn charts. And the live vocals are just so great. The other thing I'll say, Lex, is that I've always liked kind of bands that sort of can 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 sort of trade verses where like you know you sing the first verse i'll sing the second it's it's hard yeah. to do because you need good singers right and not maybe one established frontman and the band is one of the only people that could able to could was able to do this that well but there's a song like the the only song that they'd never recorded anywhere else on there is called get up jake and uh unlike the studio version that came out a while ago um this was the sort of version that initially came out and it has like Richard sings the first verse, Rick sings the second verse. Yeah. Uh, Levon sings the third verse and they all sing on the chorus. And it's one of these, like, I mean, is the, is uh, no one sounds like them. (laughs) And then is there any band that, that has that level of that many vocalists, I guess maybe like Fleetwood Mac or something. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those, like, well, the, the Beach Boys, I think, but yeah. they, they're, they're the Beach Boys are blending their vocals. Right. The the band uh, intentionally don't blend their vocals, and then of course you got Levon Helm. The original first song on the record was their cover of the Marvin Gaye song "Baby Don't You Do It" mm. or "Don't Do It," and it's got these horn charts and it's got uh, Levon. I, I we played it actually in the Alan Toussaint episode. We right. got Levon drumming and he's just. Again, he's you listen for his his kick drum. It's it's it, you can never predict when it's going to come across. Um, so I mean, I I think it's a, a a joyful record. I put it on all the time. It's like comfort food to me. Yeah. Uh, and I I especially like to listen to Richard on there. And there's a version. Dylan came and did some songs with them too. But I I don't find those in the same category. Yeah. Either of their best or his best. Um, but it's, I, it's so cool. It's special to have a live record that um, has the band firing on all cylinders. And as you said, they're having fun. So fun. And they have all these, these horn players. They got, they got the best horn men in New York to help right, them do it. Right. Yeah, 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 right. And uh, yeah, I just think it's... Um, the songwriting is so sharp. It's so cinematic, you know, as Robbie's always talking about. But I just, I can't get get over how well it all works together. There's a really, really long sort of uh, organ interlude called The Genetic Method. Yeah. That's the sort of, uh, that's the opening to Chest Fever uh-huh. um, with Richard and Levon singing in tandem. And it's it's wild. It goes on and he plays Old Lang Syne in it because it's New Year's Eve. And um it just it's it's it, it's almost like genius level or, or I, I virtuoso certainly level yeah. of Garth Hudson just in another zone. It for me growing up, I would always skip the song. Right. I hear it once, you've heard it a few times. Right. But I thought I'd I just last song I'd play is some Across the Great Divide, which is my favorite song on there. Cool. It's another Richard vocal. Standing by your window. in your hand And I beg you Dear Molly 
the great divide i mean it's... those horns are so good i mean everything's so wonderful and then those horns the just horns. like reach higher they elevate it and it's like it, robbie says these the, 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 the these versions are you know they're just a different thing than the studio versions i don't know what he's talking about in every case they make it better and their yeah. performance is, is even better yeah like it's again it's the rare live records like when i want to listen to the band that's what i listen yeah, yeah, to yeah 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 so, awesome yeah awesome. that's my number two uh well <laughs> Where we my going? next my next one is very different than <laughs> what we've talked about uh in the last hour um it is i think our first double live album from oh 1979 uh it's ufo's strangers in the night <laughs> Oh, Michael Schenker. <laughs> Michael Schenker. Um, it peaked at number seven on the UK charts, uh, got to number 42 in the US charts. It is widely considered a great uh, live rock album. Uh, you ready for one of its big, big fans is one Slash. Slash, really? Yep. Okay. Um. Now, <laughs> you mentioned Michael Schenker. He is not on this album. What? No. Wow. Um, he quit in Palo Alto. And this, uh, on, on this tour, he was on this tour, and evidently he uh, had a blow-up um, with, uh, with the lead singer, uh, Phil Mogg, and uh, just everything about UFO, <laughs> I'm just going to say, is, is and, and I know it can be applied to so many different bands, but UFO is very Spinal Tap. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Filmog later claimed, uh, so this is a Schenker quote. Filmog later claimed that I left UFO over a disagreement about which version of rock bottom appeared on Strangers, Schenker recalled. But don't believe everything you read. Um, I love that it was a fight over which version we're gonna we're, of a song called Rock Bottom we're gonna put on the album. Uh, so yeah, he leaves in a huff, um, and he goes back to a band that he started with, and that band was the Scorpions. Um, he is on the Scorpions' debut album, Lonesome Crow, and he was 16 at the time. So mm. you use the word virtuoso before. Michael Shanker is sort of widely considered a guitar virtuoso. Um, and uh, he sticks with UFO through what I consider uh, are their best records, which are Phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. Force it. Oh, force it. That's the one that's basically the smell of the glove. Uh, it absolutely Tap. is. Uh, that's, they have some very memorable album covers. I, All hypnosis album covers, by the way. Who did the one with the monkey? There's one that's with... no heavy petting. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Lights Out and mm. Obsession. So that's 1974 through 1978. Then they go on this Strangers in the Night tour and... Um, the band uh, falls apart or their star leaves um and uh Schenker is replaced by Paul Chapman and um it's still a goddamn great album <laughs> uh Schenker goes to uh play with the scorpions on love drive which is one of their great albums also mm -hmm. a uh, uh hypnosis cover highly sexualized also very one, spinal tappy this is the one with like the gum and yes the, boob. the, the, oh. the boot the stretchy oh, boob Never in the back that of the limousine one, right? yeah okay. exactly um and evidently before forming uh the michael schenker group msg uh he there, when Joe Perry was uh, having his troubles in Aerosmith, he was he was a contender to replace Joe Perry. And then when Randy Rhodes died, he was a contender to replace Randy Rhodes in Ozzy Osbourne's band. But evidently, in both cases, Schenker is just too much of a handful uh, for mm. people to deal with. Um, so I did not know any of that. Okay. <laughs> I do, Nor should I, you. I do know so, some UFO records, but I know I think I think like No Place to Run is the record that I got into, but that was That's a George Martin produced record. It Did is. Did you know that? But it's it was post Shanker. Yeah, that's nineteen eighty. And it's it's got like a it's it's got almost like a power. It's got an eighties, yeah, 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 yeah. Sort okay. of popular vibe. Um uh yeah, again, with UFO, so we played this uh, rock trivia game last night <laughs> we did. Uh, with, with many people. Those of, those of us who don't know us personally, I mean, my, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's so funny that that's, just, that's what you guys do in your spare time? You really go, you do more of this? <laughs> yeah, we went and played a 1980, uh, it was published in 1983, like a Trivial Pursuit classic rock Yeah, by game. like Parker Brothers or something. Shout um, out to our friend James Fishwick. And James, so the reason why I bring it up is because James said something, because UFO was actually, or Michael Schenker or UFO were the answers to a couple of the questions, which yes. I got. Yes. Um, but James said, uh, uh, 
UFO has sort of been lost to history. And I think that that's, that's fair. They, they've roundly been forgotten while appreciated by, you know, uh, guys like Slash and musicians in the know. They're not uh, remembered from that era necessarily. And they have a big catalog. And if you, big go, catalog. To, you go to a lot of uh, used record stores, you'll find <laughs> some plenty of deals on UFO <laughs> records. But it's, it's meaty stuff. I mean, it's not... No, yeah, it's chunky stuff. I was introduced to this album in particular. I uh, uh, This was my first understanding of UFO. Uh, it was introduced to me by uh, Stephen Heath, who uh, I did that quick interview with on, after our Van Halen oh, yeah, episode. Of course. And uh, Stephen Heath played with uh, Wise Blood on that tour that I, that I saw. Um, so shout out to, to Stephen for... Uh, tuning me into strangers in the night but um so the first song that i'm gonna play is speaking speaking of chunky rock and spinal tap themes uh is cherry uh which is about a stripper (laughs) (laughs) gotta give my love old cherry that's for me there's only you the barrooms just for pants Wish I wasn't just passing through Tell me your secrets Tell me no one will lie you now We are They're just everything you want from a rock song. Um, these songs, especially their slower songs, which I would kind of consider Cherry a slower song, are very vibey. Um, and uh, I think, you know, uh, there are some chunky rock guitar-driven songs, but the the finer moments on this album are actually Phil... Um, and uh, Paul Raymond on keyboards. And here's a little fun fact. Paul Raymond uh, replaced uh, Christine McVeigh, McVie, um, in Chicken, Sh- Chicken Shack mm. as the keyboardist um, before she oh, went solo. Really? Yeah. Um, and so he's the keyboardist for UFO. Okay. Um, and I it's will. A, it's the end. Wikipedia says that Shanker is on this. He just, he's on the album. He just never. He 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 left before it was released. So it says that he he was he, guitarist left the band during the tour. Uh, it has been rumored that he refused to record any overdubs, which would make this I an accurate that. account of his live guitar work. 
I don't know. Maybe. maybe okay. Is he, uh, I thought that he left in Palo Alto, and this was like the later southern leg. So that okay, great. Well, I, it could be. I could be wrong. I'm just. No, no, no. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, we've got so much, so many uh, angry listeners out there. The Shanker fans. Well, well, clear it up if you know. Clear us up. Um, before I get into a sort of a keys-driven song, I just want to play one. What I love. Uh, one of Phil's intros that feels very spinal, <laughs> spinal tappy. His intro to Natural Thing is so silly. We're getting a bit confused up here. It's your licensing laws. We've just taken a vote. Apparently this is something called Natural Thing. That mean we've just taken a vote. Apparently, this is called something <laughs> called natural thing. Um, okay, so I want to play. Uh, I want to play Doctor Doctor, and then I want to play I'm a Loser. Both great songs. super fun what i like about um a good ufo song is when you start it off you really don't see what's coming they, they they'll shift gears on you and it it becomes a, an exciting listen but i do wonder how many rock songs are titled dr doctor <laughs> i mean there's a, is That's there a where the play- song called dr doctor yeah, I feel like there's uh, there's probably a Jerry Garcia band. The Thompson or, Twins. I mean, I think there might a... be a Power Station or Robert Palmer. Um, Doctor might Doctor, be worth a playlist. Uh, um, 
Yeah, it might be worth a playlist. It might be of, of all doctors. Um, okay, so the last one I want to play is I'm a Loser, which just does not feel... I mean, it just doesn't feel like a powerhouse uh, rock theme. It seems so out of character for 1979 hard rock, uh, but uh, here it is. I'm a Loser. We're going to do something off of... Uh... I uh, know what's it album. This is something called I'm a loser. That's all I got. Wow. Well, um, I feel like I, I need to. I, I I I would love a UFA UFO playlist. Oh, I've from, got one from you. I will send you one. I've got one. Like I don't know if I can handle like sixty songs. I know you no, could no, no, probably no. Could give me three hundred. There's a. Like, um, let me see. The only I, I love that song. Looking out for number one. I know that song. Yeah, that's that's the one. Uh, uh, that's one of my favorite oh, UFO songs. It's pretty perfect. It is. Yeah, um, right. When they do it, they do it right. Well, my um, my last one is uh, not. It's it's a little co- complicated because uh, while my favorite live record is Rock of Ages, and mm-hmm. I think probably the best live record I've ever heard is Live at Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, these mm-hmm. are slightly different, you know, uh, accolades, uh, descriptors. Um, my favorite live rock musician uh, is Neil Young. Okay. And uh, he's not my favorite songwriter. Like I like some of his records, some of them I don't. He's yeah. He just produces so much stuff; yeah, it's hard prolific. to keep up with. Yeah. Um, but when he and Crazy Horse yep. hit their stride, in it's it again. It's one of these things where it's like a bunch of the the, the word that's always used in conjunction with them is lumbering. <laughs> And how good that can be a good thing? Is it is lumbering a good? Would you does anyone strive to be lump to lumber uh, with rock? But they have a way of lumbering through songs, and his guitar work is like you know if you want to find like some some of my favorite stuff to watch is like you know there's there's a version of him doing all along the Watchtower at one of Dylan's sort of tribute concerts where he just blows everyone off the stage there's yeah. there's a, a version of him totally coked out of his mind doing like a hurricane on television like Canadian television in 1986 that 
will melt your face off uh, with these one note mm-hmm. solos that no one else can really do like he can. Um, but my favorite live record, the live record I go to when I want to listen to live Neil Young is not, you know, Live Rust is a famous one. Yeah. Well, uh, that's is what a really I thought famous you were going to pick. No. I'm going to go with Year of the Horse. Oh. Year of the Horse. This was... Um, one I've always seen. I mean, that's the fun of Neil Young is yeah. that you're like, I've seen this album a million times, but I've never listened to it. Year of the Horse. It's not young men. It's sort of middle-aged dudes like looking yeah, like, like they're mechanics. Early 90s? It's 1997. Okay. So maybe we we touched on this very briefly in the uh in the alice cooper episode okay uh but remember when alice cooper was first coming around they got they got stuck with david briggs uh who's neil young's producer who picked neil Neil young was 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 so angry apparently neil young was uh was hitchhiking uh Uh in 1968 okay and briggs picked him up that sounds slightly yeah not true but mythologized it's uh and Briggs like produced all of Neil Young's record until he died. He, he died in 1994, I think, maybe okay. 1995. And the first record that came out after Briggs was this album called Broken Arrow. Yeah. Which was he was still sort of at a high ebb, kind of the grand godfather of grunge yes. and stuff like that. Um, and he'd done Sleeps with Angels, which was you know kind of tough for people to get their head around. And uh, Broken Arrow was. Poorly recorded. It's got this really long, like, cover that called of "Baby, What You Want Me to Do," which sounds like it was recorded on a tape recorder. Uh huh. Um, a pono. He just done uh, the the sort of just feedback album, Dead Man. And he, uh, I lo- I gotta say, love it. The, jo- the Jarmish film and Mirror Ball was before that, which was with Pearl Jam. I love that album. And um. Anyway, Broken Arrow never never made a huge impact on me. But then Year of the Horse comes along. Jarmish is making a movie about their tour. Oh, and about, yeah. And, um, and what's frustrating is that the movie has a different sort of track listing than the record. Okay. Uh, the record comes out, and it's got some very odd choices on it. Uh, like, they don't put Like a Hurricane on there. They don't put... Uh, which is in the movie. I which guess. is in the movie. They don't All put right. fucking up. Which is in the movie. Which is uh-huh. a big moment in the movie. They they don't put a bunch of. I, I don't put like Cortez the Killer on there, which oh. is I think is an amazing live sure. track. Um, but they do put on a couple songs from Broken Arrow. Okay. Which are there's two particularly. There's one called Big Time, uh-huh. which is his tribute to David Briggs. Okay. So he's in mourning. Like this of his friend, he's okay. he's definitely what has come out from his the death, and there's but my favorite live song of his ever mm-hmm. is called "Slip Away," okay. which is a song that was on Broken Arrow. It was okay, yeah, and then he rearranged it and added a guitar part or two, and like the 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 other the other thing that if you go into the the forums and look at, at people talking about Neil Young and Crazy Horse that they have the spook. Okay. Uh, that they get into sort of a vibe oh. that's spooky, <laughs> and no one else can really. You can't really. Oh, man, I want to um, use that. The spook. You can't really recreate it. So I thought I'd play you um, big time. Well, actually, before I play that, it begins with one of the greatest first openings of any live record I've ever heard. Awesome. Especially with this is it. It's called when you when you dance. I can really love. Uh, 
this is what the, the listen to the crowd. Um, they all sound the same. It's all one song. What's that song? That's when you dance. I can really love. Uh, that's off of um, after the gold rush. Okay. So that's a famous song. Yeah. Um, they do barstool blues on there, um, but slip away. There's also there's a song called Danger Bird, which is on Zuma, and they do a 13 minute version of it, which is <laughs> you know you have to be in the mood for it. But sure. I'm often in the mood for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah. when it comes to jamming, <laughs> I could I'm anytime I've ever heard the phrase jam band, I usually want to run in the opposite direction. Sure. Now I happen to love when we're talking about live albums. I happen to love. Live film Maurice by the Almond Brothers. Right. And there's some jamming that goes on there. Yeah, sure. It's but it's not what other people mean when they say jamming. Right, right. It's blues. Right. Um these guys can just go forever and I yeah, can yeah. just listen to it. And right. it does conjure up a mood and mainly his guitar. But here's Slip Away. And that's the only song I'm gonna play off this, because that's the only song I think it needs to be played. But anyone who's interested in Neil Young and Crazy Horse, yeah. Uh and you're ready to sort of, it's kind of an advanced course. It, it, it's gotten some strange reviews, but the people that love it are, swear by it because it's kind of poorly recorded. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. guess what Briggs told him before he died, last thing he said was like, stay close to the source. Get as close as okay. you can to the source. And, and so there's zero heart. stagecraft. These guys are basically wearing dirty t-shirts and sort right. of just like hopping around looking at each other. Right. And they're yelling like crazy horses always. They're always fighting with each other. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of shared history. You know, the, one of the guys died. Yeah. Um, but this is slip away, and it, it's again, it lumbers, <laughs> it lumbers, Lex, as promised. But it lumbers in a beautiful way.
tulip. You're right, though. I, 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 that's a sound I can listen to for a long, long time. I just never think of it. Mm. Well, partly because it's never, it's not on Spotify. <laughs> well, <laughs> that could be. Neil that way. Yeah, that could be. Uh, I just have. I was thinking a lot live stuff, and I was like, I can't be honest and not do a Neil Young thing. Yeah. And and frankly, most of it is like cherry picking from various albums. Right. But that record, the whole vibe of it wraps it's like a blanket of yep. sound it wraps you up in and then it just hits you with these the more you dig into it the more the the more it reveals itself and uh i don't know that maybe that sounds kind of i don't know flowery but it, it is um, no i think that's fair and and it does rock at points like it yeah. ends with yeah. sedan delivery and and like there are and there's a acoustic moment but it's mainly like this vibe yeah. and the vibe is grief and beauty and big time it, the out the song big time is like i'm still living in the dream we have for me it's not yeah. over yeah and he, he's singing to briggs and these songs are almost oh. unrecognizable from the studio version so neil and his grumpy friends lumbering <laughs> away firing off these solos There's magic to taking it taking their time there is a je ne sais quoi sure. to it. So that's, so that's what I got. Well, there's commitment, too. <laughs> yeah, I can say that again. Yeah. It's funny. On the back of it, they look craggy and like the old men of the mountain, you know, uh, <laughs> slash like, you know. The men of the wet, like a firefighters old, or but daguerreotype. Then, like, but that was 1997. And they've just come out with a new record in 2023. And like. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's called Barn. <laughs> it's just called Barn. It's gotten great reviews. They do what they do. I'm sure it's great. They like, do what well, they do. Well, that's the beauty of of that sound and uh, just being crusty is like crusty don't age. Like it's just that works. If if that's the way you step forward into the world, you that's that's only going to look better with age. Yeah, and he's got he looks so ancient now. Right. And yet he can still only, he can still only play fitting. these songs. I mean, he never played super fast, but he always played the right notes. Right. And he just would get possessed. Like if you watch videos of Neil Young playing a guitar solo, especially when he is, you know, under the influence, he gets possessed. Right. And it's you cannot look away. Yeah. And I've never been to a Neil Young concert. Mm. And I would go if right. he was coming with Crazy Horse. Right. Awesome. That's well, it could happen. It could. Could it happen could. this year. Um, okay, speaking of it's all one song, <laughs> uh, I chose something that uh, surprised even me, uh, which is Daft Punk's Alive 2007. Wow. Uh, and the reason... Lex, your your choices have been uh, inspired. Mine have been so conventional and down the middle. I feel very convicted, but I hope well, it's going to work together. The truth is, is that I feel like we could do another one of these and and find more. I mean, these were kind of top of mind. Strangers in the Night was one that I knew that I wanted to to talk about. Teddy P was like kind of a, a discovery, but a, a really joyful one. And this Daft Punk thing happened recently somebody played a track for me or sent me the track and I thought, eh, that I got that live record feeling where I was like, why would I want to listen to Daft Punk live? Right. Like, they're studio guys. Like that's, and no, 
I realized listening to this live record that this is all about the live experience. These guys are actually best when they're live. That's what this is about is being... They're they're mixing and playing it live. I mean, is it like an EDM experience almost? So it literally is kind of one long experience. It's called... I think it was sort of dubbed a mega mix. So there's, there's the three albums. It comes after their three albums... Uh, by 2007, they had Homework, Discovery, and Human After All, and it weaves together. Yes, it's 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 them essentially DJing their own work, and they had um, uh, a custom made. They had custom made supercomputers controlled remotely with all kinds of MIDI controllers, and and so. You can see this on YouTube. The full concert or, or one of the concerts is on YouTube um, in like 4K IMAX if you want to blow it up on your screen. But uh, it's it's them <laughs> in front of a giant LED pyramid with, you know, of course, laser lights and the whole deal. So, yes, it's, it's very much uh, a trance-like... Hmm. experience and and i'm assuming that you know most of the audience is high yeah um but you know they're 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 working the crowd they're 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 vibing with the crowd um and it's 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 a real treat um before i play uh one one of the tracks uh I just wanted to point out some stuff that I found that I was I was surprised by, which was, and maybe you already know well, this. The Daft Punk played with Paul Williams in, in, in <laughs> such a beautiful way. I think we talked well, about that. We did. We talked yeah. about that in the Paul Williams episode, uh, and then also, evidently, they met because they met at a, a screening of Phantom of the Phantom Paradise, of the Paradise. <laughs> yeah. which I love, right? Yeah. And supposedly their masks are are a nod to the Phantom of the Paradise masks. Um, but in the late 80s, they were in a band called Darlin, uh, which disbanded, but uh, they got reviews, and evidently they got a negative review uh, in Melody Maker, and uh, the writer, Dove Jennings, dubbed their music as Daft Punky Thrash. <laughs> and that's Daft how... Punky Thrash? Yes. Or Trash? Daft. Thrash. Thrash, huh, okay. And uh, and that's how they chose their name for their next endeavor. Daft, they just took Daft Punk out of their bad review. Wow. Isn't that a cool little story? I had story? no idea. Yeah. Um, and they first came on my radar with Discovery. Uh, I didn't know um, Homework. Uh, so Discovery was early 2000s, and they they started by putting out these animated manga videos. Do you remember those? Yeah, I do remember those. Yeah, yeah. I was, like, hooked. Every time a new one came out, I you couldn't they, get enough. I remember the one for one more time. I can think of it right now. Yeah. Um, and they wove that together into a larger feature. I don't know if it's... Actually, I don't know if it's feature length, but... Um, they all make up one story called Interstellar 555, the story of the secret star system. And each mm. S is a five, which is why there's 
sorry, uh, four fives. Um, and that was animated by their childhood hero, Leji Matsumoto, who I guess made a manga called Captain Harlock, which huh. came out in the 70s. Um, but yeah, I was totally captivated with those videos and that's what sparked my love of Daft Punk after that that second album. And um and yeah, and then the 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 um the Paul Williams link up with um Random that, Access that, Memories. I, I just love that last album was was so wonderful. And of course the Tron Legacy soundtrack is so great. I don't know if you ever... I do know it, and I know the movie, uh, I think, is fantastic. I do, too. I just think Tron Legacy is awesome. I think it's great. It's underrated. And uh, and the fact that they were... In, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, they basically designed the whole movie around Daft Punk, I feel like, who had taken from the first Tron movie. But yeah. Pl- play me some of this. I need okay, to Okay, so um, uh, I'm actually going to jump to... So it's not as if what you're going to hear with ro- with so I'll play the first pla- track I'll play robot rock um you know I mean it's I I'm not going to stay with it too long because this is such a long experience mm-hmm. um but you can at least get a sense of it and that uh bass track really carries you through at least half of the album and what I'll play after robot rock um is uh is face to face which is kind of a lull in the concert okay um so first robot rock
That's I mean, incredible music. It's so great, and the crowd is mixed so well in this that yeah. you can just feel the excitement. I feel like that's that's really why I chose it to talk about is it's such an exciting experience even more so it's i think it's more exciting to listen to than to watch yeah the 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 video of the concert because it it lives in your brain um you can in this moment listening i mean this is like you can just imagine those guys showing up on stage the lights coming up you're waiting you can absolutely picture the journey to get to the concert you're there with your friends and then this happens and you're like oh man we are in for it and it just you go through the peaks and valleys and it's this relationship with those two guys on stage suppose you know there's the rumors that they're not in the helmets, right. you know, and, and this is, they're just, the two guys on stage maybe are just all part of the scenery as much as it's the a whole show. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a whole, a it's a whole thing, but it, there's a narrative thrust to it. Exactly. Um, but so then, uh, around face to face, you get a, a dip and it goes face to face into short circuit. Um, and I'll probably, I'll maybe sort of scrub ahead to get you to the end of short circuit because that dips you into one more time. Yeah. And when one more time hits, it's this, you need the lull after all the energy of the first half of the album. And then when one more time hits, you're like, oh man, we're in sort of the second half of this and it's going to be awesome. So.
that's not like uh yeah, I'm, I'm, I've sort of learned something here. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, I would never have gone there. I mean, it's just because if I want to hear a Daft Punk song, no, right. I, I usually will put on just a studio cut. Exactly. And, um, but I do know there's a massive culture out there of people that go to, you know, just basically techno shows that are all being live, you know, they're actually being mixed live. Live mixed, yeah. And, and, and being composed live even. Right. And it's a, yeah, it's a and conscious I, and altering, consciousness altering thing, but I think it's also like, um, don't knock until you try to kind of... Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think that's right. And I, I, don't, I don't think I would have had a good understanding of the experience without this record. Huh. So. Yeah. That's all I got. That's a lot. And we've, we did it. We've gone for two hours. Um, we'll have to do another one. I mean, yeah. The, the only we'll, the can, hardest thing for me was to not do an Elvis live record. I definitely thought about because, it. Because like, like I, said. I love the late stuff, you know, and I think there's a very specific flow to it. I love the comeback special, and I think that the early 1969 shows when he's do, doing first performing again have an electricity to them. But well, we've talked about that. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about doing Elvis in some some era yeah um we'll, we'll get there one we'll day. figure it out well thank you lex thanks dave bye bye Takes a man.
Why?